and near. And we've been in this series uh, titled Believe the Hype, Believe the Hype, and how there's different things that are on display in Scripture as well as in culture that there's a lot of hype around, but not everything you need to believe. And we've been identifying subjects that you can believe the hype about. So I want us to look to a subject this morning that is actually going to continue what, we've, what we started a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day when we took that day and that sermon to, to talk about believe the hype about motherhood. I figured today there's a lot of hype about dads, amen? You're going to see a lot of Father's Day social media posts. So I figured it would only be right that we talked about believe the hype about fatherhood. Believe the hype about fatherhood. I pray that the Lord would open your heart and your mind to get something out of this message because you might be tempted to think right now, well, I'm not a dad, some people in here. I'm not going to get anything out of this message. Stop right there. Yes, you will. I really believe that if you're open to this message, the Lord will pull out some principles and use his word to do what only his word can do, which is teach us, encourage us, strengthen us, equip us, sharpen us, rebuke us, grow us up, right? And, and maybe that would be the effect of the word of God today. So would you just pray with me just 10 seconds? And would you pray a prayer where you ask God to speak to you through his word today? Let's do that. Lord, here we are in this moment. You've gotten all of us here today to hear a word from you. So help us now, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Believe the hype uh, about fatherhood. When we think about this subject, and I began studying for this message, I thought, you know what, a good place to be would be to learn from different fathers that are on display in the Bible. See, there's a lot of fathers in the Bible, right? A lot of fathers that made good decisions and a lot of fathers that made Come on, not so good decisions, right? And I thought, you know what? It would be good for us to learn from both. I once heard a wise man say that a wise person learns from their failures, but an even wiser person learns from the failures of others. And maybe we can do uh, that here this morning as well. The first point of the message, believe the hype about fatherhood by learning from the fathers throughout the Bible. Um, there's so many that I could have picked, but I said, you know what, let me go ahead and just start at the very first one that we see, God the Father in creation. Uh, there's, we see the first ever man come about. His name's Adam. So let's go ahead and learn from this first dad we see in Scripture named Adam. Maybe you know about Adam. Maybe you don't. It's okay. You'll find him uh, in the book of Genesis, the first ever book in the Bible, specifically in chapters 1 through 4. You can learn primarily what you need to know about this man named Adam. Adam is a creation of God. God used this, the dirt and made this person come to life and he was lonely in the garden. The first thing that God said was not good was that he was alone, that we're created for community. So God said it's not good for man to be alone so he created him a partner, a helper, a friend and even a spouse, praise the Lord. Her name was Eve and so they got together and they entered into a covenanted marriage, the first ever marriage in the Bible, Adam and Eve, and they got together, and praise the Lord, they had babies, all right, right? They had two baby boys. They had a boy named Cain, and they had another boy named Abel, 
And the thing that, that, that we remember so often about Adam's story is their failures, right? Adam uh, was rebellious against the Lord. God told him to listen. God said, stay away from this forbidden tree. Don't eat the fruit from it. But yet Adam fell into deception from the enemy and ate from that tree. Him and his wife together were then removed from the garden uh, under the curse of sin, which we're still, still feeling the effects of here today. And then Adam would then have to work really hard from the sweat of his brow. There's pain and childbearing and uh, you know, all types of struggle would come from that first sin. And then Adam was removed from the very presence of the heavenly garden. Now that's usually where we stop. We say, yep, that's Adam's story. But as I was studying for this message, I said, man, there's a lot more to Adam's story that I figured, you know, maybe we could together learn from here today. See, Adam was a dad who had two boys, and we get introduced to them here in Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at these verses together. <clears throat> it says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, why do I share that scripture with you guys here today? Well, I, I share that with y'all. Maybe you can understand this with me. In that, if I put myself in Adam's shoes, just for a second, maybe you can do the same. If you got kicked out of the garden for one sin, for one mess up, and was removed from the presence of God the way that Adam was, I don't know what type of dad I would be to my kids. right? I wonder if I would be like, yo, man, forget God, bro. Like, we're not going to worship him. We're not going to serve him. We're not, we're not going to follow him because of what he did to me and your mom. I wonder if Adam would have raised his kids up like that. But what we see here is though they're kicked out of the garden, though they're on their own in this journey wandering, Adam still raises up two worshipers for the Lord. Adam's two sons would bring their gift to the Lord that they still had a heart for worship even though they had sin in their life, right? What we see here is in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. He was a giver. He brought his tithe. He brought his generosity even though what happened. Where did they get that from? I can only imagine they got that from their dad. That Adam said, look, son, I blew it. You have a chance to worship the Lord. You have a chance to not follow in the footsteps. Let's go ahead and bring our offering to God. Let's bring our worship to God. Let's bring, let's bring our best worship to God. Now, Cain, he kind of brought an average worship. He brought a half-hearted worship, right? He, he got the fruit of the ground. He was like, yeah, let me, let me pick some of these, you know, fruits. And maybe they were molded. Maybe, maybe they were rotten. But we see Abel, he brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering but Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. The thing that I want you to see about this text is that these two brothers learned from their dad that it's important to worship the Lord. And maybe there's a principle in there that you could get from this that says, you know what, bring your best offering. Bring your best worship. Some of y'all took the last 10 minutes to just kind of take off. You're like, man, I wish the NBA would start back over, right? Some of y'all were like, man, I want to go to lunch now, right? You're bringing a half-hearted worship. Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, 
to the woman at the well, he says, the father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are the worshipers father's looking for. Come on, I'll clap for you. I'll, I'll, I'll come alongside you, brother, right? That God's looking, he's surveying, and he's saying, look, even though you may not like the song, are you gonna worship anyway? Even though you may not understand it, you may worship anyway. Even though your dad blew it in the garden, I'ma bring my worship anyway, right? That's what we see from Cain and Abel. Now, maybe you'd ask, well, how come Cain didn't bring a better offering? And I would say, well, he wasn't able. Catch that, like that? <laughs> All right, you're going, so some of y'all are going to get that in the car ride. Oh, that's what he meant. Oh, he wasn't, he wasn't able. Okay, that's a joke. Um, what happens here is not a joke, right? What ends up happening after this is actually sad, right? Uh, we, see, we see the fall of sin start to work its way into humanity. We see these brothers uh, become violent toward each other. We actually see Cain become envious and jealous and angry toward his brother Abel to the point where he kills him right there. And now we see Adam, not just Adam from the garden, but we see a grieving father, right? Adam is a dad who, rose, who, who raised two sons that loved the Lord up, but, but now one of them's dead, right? So Adam's a grieving dad who maybe if you can relate to that, you can find comfort in the fact that you're not alone, that one day you can find Adam in heaven. I believe he's there. He, rose, he raised up two kingdom men. Right? And so we'll be able to learn from this first dad that we see in the Bible. The next dad that we see in the Bible that I thought was worthy of mention is this cat named Noah. Noah is a very interesting dude. When I say Noah, what do you think of? You think of the ark, right? You think of probably like this pretty kids ministry poster of this ark with like some stuffed animals crawling on, right? That is not how the ark looked. Like let's go ahead and blow that up right now. This is a terrifying scene, all right? Uh, we have the ark that Noah was tasked to build. Now, Noah had three sons, right? He had Ham. That's a great name for a son. It's my son, Ham. He's going Ham. All right. Um, <laughs> Japheth, right? Noah had three sons, and, 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 and all three sons, uh, I wonder. Now, now, this is just me trying to use my imagination. I think the Bible gives us room for interpretation and imagination, always in line with the text, right? But in my imagination, I just wonder if going up, growing up in school, if there was people that were like, yo, your dad is crazy. Like, yo, Japheth, like, your dad's still working on that ark? Yo, Ham, what you doing after school? I'm going to help my dad work on the ark again. Man, you've been working on that ark for 30 years, bro. It ain't gonna happen. Like, like your dad... He missed it. He missed his calling, right? And here's Noah staying faithful to what God called him to do. The Lord said, listen, there's gonna be judgment that's gonna fall upon the earth. You are a righteous man who listens to my voice. I'm gonna give you the inside scoop. Start building. People are gonna start hating. There's gonna be persecution. Can I just give somebody a word? If you really try to live this thing out called Christianity, persecution's around the corner. Don't let anybody hype you. Don't let anybody lie to you. Like, it's going to be your best life now. Just believe in Jesus, and you're going to get a BMW. Blow that up real quick, right? What's going to happen is you're going to get persecuted for your faith. Remain strong, trust the Lord, and let God move through your life. That's something that I want to share with you. Be encouraged by it. It's a promise. Persecution is not a problem. Persecution is a promise from God. That, that the church and the early church in Acts found joy. They said, man, this is dope to be counted persecuted for my God. 
right? We see 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to read this verse with me, all right? If you believe it, read it. One, two, three. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Some of us read that, and instead of will, we say might be persecuted. It's not what it says. Some say could potentially be persecuted. It's not what it says. If you really have a desire to do it, and you start living it, you will be persecuted. Not everybody's going to understand. And in those times, stay strong the same way that Noah did, right? I can imagine that there were times where Noah's three sons went through life and they were confused about their dad. That there were times where Noah's three sons were annoyed by their dad. Where Noah's three sons were frustrated even with their dad. Where Noah's three sons even questioned their dad, right? Year after year after year, dad's still working on this ark. We're still working on this ark. We're supposed to trust the Lord. We're supposed to worship the Lord. We're supposed to follow the Lord. Well, nothing's happened. I wonder if they were questioning and frustrated, annoyed with their dad. But friend, I bet you on the day where it started raining, come on, they were thankful for their dad, right? (laughs) They were glad to have a dad who said yes to God and no to the world. I bet you on that day, Japheth was like, that's my dad, y'all. I told y'all. I've been telling y'all for years. Now I'm going to go ahead and take my ticket, and I'm going to board this ark, right? And it doesn't matter how long it takes. The waiting season is never a wasted season. That that season is God producing in you faith. And I think we can learn that from this dad, Noah. He never gave in. He could have. He never gave up. He could have. But he demonstrated obedience to his boys. And, and, and today we can look back at his life. It wasn't a perfect life. Noah struggled with drunkenness. He struggled with anger. He struggled with doubt. Uh, dude had all types of issues. But along the journey, he never lost faith. And he demonstrated to his sons what it looked like to be a man of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith. This chapter is, you ever heard of the hall of fame, right? Well, Noah got inducted into the hall of faith, and so did several others. It's, It's in Hebrews 11. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen. That's a big verse right there. Some stuff is yet to happen in your life. But don't let it happen and then react. Trust God today by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. You don't have to see it to believe it. You got to hear it to believe it, right? By faith, we hear the word. Faith comes by hearing the word, right? In reverent fear, he constructed an ark. That's a good dad characteristic, that he had reverent fear of the Lord. That just means he has a reverence for God to the point that he feared him, to the point that he loved him, to the point that he was obedient to him. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, that taught me something this week. That, that Noah's primary motivation in building this big old ark was, yes, to honor the Lord, but was also to save his family. I wonder if all those days where Noah was putting together this massive ark, right, with not having the technology that we have today, this thing took a long, long time, right? I wonder if those days he was putting up more wood, gopher wood, he was thinking, this is for my son. This is for my family. I, I, I want to protect and save my household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
It's what we can learn from Noah. Bet you his sons were glad that they had a dad that walked by faith. Another dad that we see in the Bible is a dad named Abraham. Abraham comes right after them. You can find him in Genesis chapter 12 and on. And we see Abraham, uh, also known as oftentimes the father of the faith, right? That God puts a calling on Abraham and says, the nations are going to come from your son. And he gives this calling to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. He says, you guys are going to one day have a baby boy, and it's going to spark the nations and, 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 and the, the Messiah will come from him and the promise of God will come from him. But here's where Abraham failed as a father and failed as a leader. And even his wife Sarah did as well, that they got tired of waiting for God's promise and they, resulted in, and they, they resorted in their own strength. And what, what that led to was Abraham making a poor decision and entering into an adulterous relationship with his maidservant and having a baby through her instead of the promise, Right? This baby boy named Ishmael now is in the picture from Hagar. That was never the, the, the promise from God, but yet this is what resulted out of their sin. But here's what I want you to hear. If you read the story, Abraham never lost love for that boy. Abraham loved his son, even though it came from a situation and circumstance that wasn't what was planned or what was called for. Abraham still loved this boy. And still did his best to raise up this boy and still tried to give the treatment to this boy in the context of division, in the context of dysfunction, in the context of a whole lot of mess. Maybe you're in that season now. Maybe you're scared to go home after church today because you're in dysfunction and you're in mess and you're in a divisive household. But let me just tell you that God was in the mix even though this boy wasn't, you know, wasn't part of their original vision. And I want to encourage some dads in the room today. Maybe your story is a little bit more complex than others. First off, don't compare to others. Your story is your story. And your story is there by God for you to be the, the, the man or woman of God in your life. To, to be a leader, to be a kingdom leader. And even if it didn't turn out the way you expected, stop right there and start today. Start loving the Ishmaels in your life that maybe were unexpected and watch God move through those things by faith. That's Abraham's story, but it didn't finish right there, right? At age 100, church, you got to read it. At age 100, Abraham and Sarah are now back on the same page. They're, they've pretty much given up on their dream of having a baby. It's not that they lost faith. It's just that they just stopped, try, you know, hey, we're 100, y'all. I mean, just saying. Until an angel showed up, and this angel of the Lord showed up. And, and found Sarah and said, hey, Sarah, at this time next year, you're going to have a baby. The text tells us that Sarah laughed in her heart. And the angel said, why are you laughing? And Sarah said, I'm not laughing. And he goes, I'm looking at your heart. Wow. <laughs> let me tell you something. You might have a whole lot of stuff going on in your heart right now. You won't say it out loud, but just let me tell you, God knows. God knows. And here's what the angel said. Is anything too strong for the Lord, Sarah? The next year she had a baby. His name was Isaac, their first ever boy who this promise would come from. Now, Abraham's story is very complex, right? Not just because he had this baby with his maidservant, but also with this new baby boy, Isaac. Now, Abraham's been holding on to this promise for years. God, what happened? You told me several years ago that the, the, this lineage is going to be as much as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea is going to come from this baby that you're going to give to Sarah and I. Where is he? Finally, they have him. His name's Isaac. Baby Isaac's here. 
and he begins to grow up. And then one day, God tells Abraham to do something radical. The scripture says that God was testing Abraham's faith, and he called Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. The first time the word worship is ever used in the Bible is here in Genesis 18 when it says, and Abraham heard the Lord and went and took his son to worship. Wow, blows my mind that Abraham grabbed his son and was even willing to sacrifice him to the Lord. Now, here's one thing I want you to hear, because this is starting to become more and more clear to me, is that Abraham, you might be thinking, what a terrible dude. He finally got this boy and now he's gonna kill him because the Lord, are you sure that was what the Lord asked him to do? Like, what? Does that even make sense? It does make sense. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. But here's one thing that I want you to know about Abraham. He had so much faith, so much faith, that he thought, even if I do march up this mountain with my son Isaac, and even if I do pull a dagger out, even if I do kill my only son, God will raise him right back to life. That he never wavered for a moment that that wouldn't be the outcome. Here's why. Because God had already told him previously ago, he's going to use that boy. He's going to bring the nations from that boy. He's going to bring the stars and the sand. There's so many. The Messiah is going to come from him. So, so Abraham's like, all right, I can do it, Lord. You'll just bring him right back. <laughs> what a faith he had, amen? We see it, Abraham's legacy in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, God never tempts us, but sometimes he will test us to see if our faith is genuine. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He never lost track of that promise. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. How did Abraham receive his son back? Well, inside this story, you see Abraham pull out this dagger. He's getting ready to slay his son. And in the moment, God speaks to him on the spot and says, Abraham, don't touch your son. And right that moment, Abraham looks to the side and he sees this ram in the bush. And he realized that God provided a substitute through this, through this ram that would be the sacrifice for his son. But, but brothers and sisters, man, isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us? Let's not read Abraham's story and miss Jesus. Come on, he's right there in that story. Jesus is the greater Abraham. Jesus is the greater ram that is the sacrifice in our place. We should be on the altar being sacrificed for our sin because the wages of sin is death, but God says, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve. I'm gonna give my son what you deserve in your place. And Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb on the cross for my sin and for your sin, a price that we couldn't pay on our own, but Jesus paid it for us. The book of Genesis hold stories that are all pictures of Jesus. You look back at that Noah story, that offering that Abel brought, what was that? The firstborn, right? The, the, the animal that would be this offering. That was a picture of Jesus. Come on, right? Noah's story. Who would pass over, right, in this ark? That was a picture of Jesus, right? Abraham's story with this, uh, this sacrifice, this was a picture of Jesus. Let me give you another testimony. How about Isaac? Let, let's stay in this same story. We see Isaac's story, right? Talking about fatherhood, Isaac was a dad. He learned from his dad, Abraham, 
And Isaac had two sons. He, he married a woman named Rebekah, and they together would have two boys. Now, these were twin boys, born about a second apart. Their names were Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Fascinating story about these two twin boys. I actually preached about an eight-week series on Jacob and Esau uh, about a year ago called You Are Known. Go back to walkchurch.com if you want to listen to them. Uh, a, lot, a lot of good stuff in there. What we see in Isaac's parenting is that he had some flaws in the way he fathered his boys. I believe that Isaac could have benefited from this message, that Isaac didn't, didn't necessarily parent the, the way that I, I would say that would have been most beneficial for his boys. Let me show it to you in Genesis chapter 25. If you're ready, say ready. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So what do I mean when I say that he didn't parent the best? Here's what I mean. The text tells us that Isaac loved Esau because of what Esau could do for him. That type of parenting could cause dysfunction and a whole lot of insecurities, which is what Jacob had in his life for the rest of his life. He was always trying to find his worth. And I think largely because his dad never saw him as worthy. His dad didn't see him quite like the son that he was. He saw him more for what he could do for him. I want to give you a reality statement this morning. Maybe for our note takers, you would write this down. Here's what it is. Don't love your kids for what they can do for you. Instead, love your kids because that's the greatest thing you could do for them, right? Loving your kids, not because they can do something for you, but loving your kids because, man, that's what you're called to do for them. Isaac loved Esau because of, he cooked for him? That's a bad love. That's a conditional love, not an unconditional love. That means, okay, so you stop cooking for me, I don't love you anymore? Come on now. And at the same time, Jacob, he stayed at home. He was a mama's boy. And, and we see Rebecca, she loved him, right? And it caused so much division to the point where Rebecca was whispering stuff, right? And Jacob's ear, hey, go steal the blessing from your brother because I don't love him like that, right? And, and Isaac's, you know, he's saying to his other son, hey, look, your other son, man, he just stays at home and plays video games all day. Go, go kill something and bring it home to me so I can eat, right? You know, like they had a dysfunctional parenthood. Right? Don't love your kids for what they can do something for you. Love your kids for what you can do for them. That's believe the hype about fatherhood is what you can do for them. That's what leaving a legacy looks like, that you love your kids and your grandkids and what you can leave for them. Leave a loving demonstration of Christ's likeness. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, says, if you are truly fathers, you cannot help loving all the family." The fatherly instinct is love. Fathers in Christ should be brimful of it. Little ones should be induced by our loving spirit to come around us, feeling that if nobody else loves them, we do. If nobody else cares for them, we do. That's a biblical fatherly love. I think one thing we can learn from Isaac is that he missed it in that area, but as you read the end of Isaac's life, I believe he made it up. Back to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, we find Isaac, he gets a shout out. By faith, Isaac, he invoked future blessings on Jacob, 
and Esau. It doesn't just say Esau. It says that Isaac, he, he, he puts down a blessing to both of his boys. And by faith, Jacob, right? Jacob followed his dad. While he was dying, he blessed each of his sons as well, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So we see from Isaac, we see from Jacob, there's plenty more dads that we can learn from. You can learn from David. You can learn from his son, Solomon. You can learn from Jesus' adopted dad, Joseph. There's all types of dads throughout the Bible that we can learn from. I just wanted to give you these five uh, here that we can benefit from here today. Let me give you one more, and then we're going to move from this list. One more I thought that would be beneficial to learn from is Jethro. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. So now we've seen all types of dads in the last four, but how about this father-in-law that made a difference in Moses' life? Moses has a fascinating testimony. He, was, he, he should have been dead, right? right? He was in the water. He's going down this rocky terrain stream, yet God had his hand on him. He grows up in this Egyptian household in Pharaoh's courtroom, right? And then all of a sudden, he, he, he understands his identity. He becomes rebellious against Pharaoh. He leads the people of Israel out of slavery into freedom, just like Jesus does for us. And then he meets a girl, and he marries her. And now he has this other family with this father-in-law named Jethro. I love the fact that Jethro is a fan of his son-in-law, Moses. So for the father-in-laws in the room today, maybe you can learn from this message to cheer on and praise and celebrate your son-in-law. We see this in this text right here in Exodus chapter 18. It starts out in verse 8, to, and then he meets a girl, and he marries her. And now he has this other family, 8 through 10. It says, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord delivered them. I love this right here. And Jethro rejoiced. I love this father-in-law that's rejoicing with his son-in-law. What a picture. He rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you. Well, in this same conversation, I'm sure they start to catch up, right? And then Moses begins to tell Jethro, he goes, yeah, so here's what's going on now. Now I'm leading like a million people and everybody's got problems. Every day I wake up, somebody's there new, they got a problem. What do you think, Jethro? And here's what Jethro tells him in the next text, verse 17. He says it like this. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. I love that right there. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. He loved his boy enough to say, look, what you're doing is not the best decision. It's actually not good. Now, Moses could have been like, man, I ain't listening to you. But look what happens next. You and the people... With you will certainly wear yourselves out, for that thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone, which may be a word for somebody. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Father-in-laws, you have a place. You have a space. You have a calling as well to be a voice of wisdom, a voice of wise counsel, sometimes even a voice of correction if you do it right. right? We see that here modeled. From Jethro, it was a game changer in Moses' life. Now, Moses had to have the humility to listen, but I think because he saw the godliness of his father-in-law, he was glad to. So here's five different fathers, right? We see Adam, who raised up two men that worshiped the Lord. Uh, we see Noah, who, in spite of persecution and difficulty, built the ark, 
right? We see Abraham who fell into sin with his maidservant, but still had faith enough to have a baby boy and even to offer him as a sacrifice, but had faith that he wouldn't, that the Lord raised him up. And Isaac, right, who, who loved his boy the wrong way, but at the end, blessed him. And now we even see Jethro, his father-in-law, who's given wise counsel to his son-in-law. Believe the hype about fatherhood, amen? There's, there's some good stuff in there, right? Yeah, you can. I got two more points in this message and we're almost done. I'm gonna make these last two quick, all right? Learning from the fathers of the Bible, but I wanna give you the second point, listening to the father of the Bible. I think that we could do well, church, to listen to the father of the Bible. God is a father. He's a heavenly father. Time and time again in the Bible, he refers to himself as a loving father, that he is the father of creation. Now, what does he say in this written, revealed book about fatherhood? I'll just give you a couple verses. Maybe it'll help us out. First one, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not aggravate your children. I thought more children were going to amen that. I thought more children were like, that's my verse. There it is. I've been waiting for that one, pastor. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Maybe that lands on you somehow. That a father's role is yes to lead and yes to love, but not to aggravate, right? Because our calling is not to discourage our kids, but to encourage our kids. What does that mean? It means to put courage in to them, not take courage out of them. It's a father's role biblically. We see in Ephesians 6 another view of what fatherhood is should look like. Children, obey your parents. Come on, where's the parents at? There's their verse. <laughs> Stop clapping. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. <laughs> Amen. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, right? Here's the promise. If you honor your father and you honor your mother, here's the promise. It may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. There's wisdom in honoring your parents. Doesn't mean you always have to agree. It just means you always have to honor, right? This is something that you could do well to learn from, from the scriptures. Finally, it says it like this. Fathers, there's our verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let's highlight that word provoke for a second. I didn't really totally know what that word provoke means, so I decided to look up the Greek word for it. The word provoke uh, by definition, means to deliberately make someone annoyed or angry. That's deep right there, right? Dad's in the room, mom, parents in the room even. Let's make sure we're not provoking our kids, deliberately annoying them, <laughs> deliberately making them angry. That, that could take courage out of them. It's just a verse that I spent some time on looking at like, man. I, I, so, so, so what do we need to do, dads? Here's what we need to do. We need to not provoke, but still discipline and instruct our kids in the Lord. What does it look like for us to discipline at times and instruct at times for the glory of God in your house? While your children are under your roof, it's a good thing to be disciplinary. It's a good thing to be instructing, but not at the point where you're provoking. Is that a good tension to live in? Right? There's a thin line between the two, and, and we're not always going to get it right. 
But that's the calling that God has in our lives as fathers. One more verse out of Proverbs chapter 22 reminds us that we're called to be trainers. Dad's in the room, you're called to be a trainer, a dad trainer, right? He says, train up your child in the way he should go. What's the way he should go? Jesus is the way he should go, right? He says, I'm the way. I'm the way to God. I'm the truth about God. I'm the life of God. Train your children in the way. If you got young children, we got VBS coming up. We just got back from summer camp. We have youth group every Thursday night. We got some woos for that. We got, we got some woos from that, right? We got some, kids, some students getting baptized this week. It's going to be exciting, right? Uh, all types of stuff, you know, train up your children in the way that they should go. Bring them to charge group if you can. Bring them, bring them a part of what you're doing. Read the word daily to your kids. Train them up. When I think of training, I'm thinking sports. I'm thinking physical training. I'm thinking working out. I'm thinking getting better. Do those same principles for the Lord with your kids. And then when it comes to a moment where they need to decide for their own, they'll have that training. They'll say, I know which way to go because I've been trained in the way to go. I'm going to do it this way. What a prophetic word and principle to live by. Let me give you the third and final point, and then we're done with this message today. Right? So we're, we're, we're learning from the fathers of the Bible. Right? We're listening to the father of the Bible. The last point is looking at the father of the Bible. I want us to close by fixing our attention on God. Like, let's look at him. Let's look at this father. Psalm chapter 68, one of my favorite verses. It says that this father is a father to the fatherless. Good word? Come on. Amen? He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. He's a God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. Only God could do that. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God is a father to those who don't even have a father. And there's some of you here today that maybe your father passed away. Or maybe your father was never in your life to begin with. And because of that, you feel less than. But let me remind you from the word of God today that this father has always been there with you. He's never left you, that he loves you, that he calls you, that you can respond to him, that you can pray to him, that you can find rest and comfort in him, that he wants you, he loves you, and he has space for you at his table. He has space for you in his house. He has space for you in his kingdom and he is gonna give you and provide for you everything you need for this life. And I think sometimes the father is just waiting. He's waiting for you to call him in. Say, Father, be my father. That's who our God is. Let me give you another verse, Isaiah 9, verse six. Oftentimes we quote this around Christmas time. This is a prophetic verse about Jesus 500 years before Jesus ever came alive as a baby, right? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, praise the Lord, Mighty God, praise the Lord, 
and, say it with me, an everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That, that our God and our Savior, He is the everlasting Father. See, some of us know fathers that just didn't last. To be honest, all of us fathers aren't going to last. All of us one day are going to fade away. We're going to all go to the grave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, right? And all, that's all of our testimonies. That's everybody. And some of our fathers didn't last sooner than others. But this father right here, it always lasts. He will last, y'all. One of the reasons why I'm excited to raise my three sons up in the house of the Lord is because even when I'm gone, he'll last. Even when you're gone, he'll last. And we'll go to see him one day in the everlasting eternity. I want to encourage you today, dads in the room and even moms in the room, to look to Jesus as the true everlasting father. It's who he is. Jesus once said in John 14, he said, I and the Father are one. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the everlasting Father. He is on display in Jesus. Let me give you the last slide, and we're done. I was looking at the Gospel of Matthew. I was looking at Jesus, and I was trying to pick one more verse. I couldn't decide, so I picked all three. Is that okay? <laughs> Forgive me. We only got a few more minutes. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Cha-ching, take that, all right? Cash in on that. I want that promise. The, the, the prayers you prayed in secret, God was there. The tears you cried in secret. When everybody else gave up on you and it was just you in the secret place, you were, you, you were learning from God in the secret place. You were crying tears and walking through depression and walking through stress, or even celebrating in the secret place, let me tell you something, he was there. And not only that, he says he'll reward you openly. Man, it's so good to spend time with God by yourself. Create time, carve out time just to hang out with the Father. He's waiting for you. Matthew 6, verse 8, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Good word? He knows it, y'all. Everything that you need, he already knows. And in his timing, you'll get it. But ask him. For you have not because you ask not. Finally, Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? In case you're here today and you're thinking... Is God going to make it for me? Is God going to provide for me? Is God going to take care of me? The answer is yes. Our heavenly father sees you even as more valuable than birds. Hey, if you're a bird lover, no offense to birds. Right? Like God took care of them too, didn't he? Birds are good. They don't need you. They're all good. Remember there used to be a bird in here flying around here as a bird was attending church? I was like, man, that bird is good. That bird was reminding me he's taking care of. The Lord's going to take care of us. Because he loves you, he's a heavenly father. He'll take care of you. Doug, Douglas Wilson, he, write, he wrote a really good book on fatherhood. I'm stepping down because that means if I step down, I can't come back up. I'll, quote, I'll give you this quote from Douglas Wilson and we'll pray. He says, the most obvious feature of the father of Jesus Christ is his generosity. He is a generous with his glory John 1, he, he's generous with his tasks, John 5. 
with his protection, John 10, with his home, John 14, with his joy, John 16, the Father gives. The Father gives his Son. The Father gives his Spirit. The Father gives himself. Today, if you're in need of this Father, take hold of him. The Father gives himself. For you and for me, you can call upon the Father in prayer right now.